Hello and welcome to The Daily Reprieve, where we provide essays, speaker meetings, workshops, and conferences in podcast format. We are an ad-free podcast. If you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and drop a dollar or two into the virtual basket. Please consider donating monthly by clicking the Donate Monthly button. However, one-time donations are always welcome. Just click the Donate Now button. Now, without further ado, this episode of The Daily Reprieve. Uh, my name is Scott, sexaholic, sober since April 5th, 2020. As, as David said, uh, I, I love traveling 3,000 miles to hang out with you guys, no question. Um, I found uh, a lot of what I'm looking for. And so I keep coming back. Um, thank you. <clears throat> um, yeah, my story. Uh, my story starts in starts in religious tradition, <coughs> grounded in uh, a certain way of believing in a higher power, uh, and not a lot of deviation allowed. I grew up scared, afraid, timid, uh, not wanting to show you who I really was, not feeling like I was part of the group, even though I was sort of tangentially a part of a lot of groups. I wasn't actually a part of any group. Um, I didn't know how to deal with any of my big emotions. no matter what came up, I would just, uh, it just was overwhelming. Everything was overwhelming. Um, neglectful father, uh, enmeshed mother. She sexually abused me when I was 13. Um, it just, there was a lot of dysfunction in the name of religion. Um, and that I didn't realize the number that it did on me until a lot later. Uh, but I knew once I found, uh, masturbating and, um, before the internet catalogs of, uh, women in various states of undress that this, this, that was it. That's what I needed. This is, this is what is going to help me. And it did, it helped, it worked. And so I went to town, um, when you grow up in a, like I did, a very restricted community in that way, um, you know, no drinking, no drinking, no smoking, no having sex uh, if you're not married. Um, it's sort of like, and no drugs. It's sort of like, all right, well, porn and masturbation, y'all can't find me there. Um, so it was just, let's add on top, you know, times that by a thousand. Um, when I got to SA uh, and I was here, I would hear other people's stories. I very often I would say to myself, "There's no way I'm a sexaholic. I I haven't slept with anyone else. I've only slept with my wife. I haven't gone to strip clubs and I haven't uh, been to the massage parlors. How can I be a sexaholic?" Um, but that part and then to the newcomer when it says 
whatever the details of our problem, we are dying spiritually, dying of guilt, fear, and loneliness. And before that, it says we identified with one another on the inside. I could identify with absolutely everything everyone was saying, which also scared the crap out of me. So I was like, I haven't done nothing. All y'all done crazy stuff. And I think exactly like you. Holy heck, what's going to happen here? Um, that just freaked, that, that freaked me out, but it also made me know, yeah, I, I, I gotta be here still. Um, when I, uh, so yeah, so in, in, in high school, it was just fantasy and I didn't talk to people. I was the, the wallflower on the wall and, you know, in the, in the, in the corner when I got to college, you know, I tried, but really my trying was, you know, not really connect to anyone. Uh, I, but I did, you know, go to counseling, talked to a lot of people about that. Uh, did faith group accountability, uh, partners, accountability groups, uh, did a bunch of service in my faith tradition. Um, so on the outside, things were looking pretty good. I mean, I got a lot of positive feedback from other people who didn't know anything about my problems. So I, the whole, uh, inside outside being different was in full force and, uh, and I thought that was like relatively normal. I remember, I would, you know, told a friend's like, I'm pretty good, man. I'm pretty good. It's just this girl problem. Like this whole, like looking at pictures, whatever, that's kind of a problem. Everything else we're good. Um, which is the delusion and the, the insanity, the illusion of this disease that I had no idea about. Um, like in the doctor's opinion, where it says the alcoholic or the sexaholic life is the, seems the only normal one. Yeah, that's, that's what I thought it was. Um, this is, this is the normal one. Of course, everyone's sort of like this. Um, so porn, masturbation, fantasy, uh, obsessions with other women, uh, voyeurism. Again, the only reason it didn't progress past that is because I was so afraid. I mean, I was just terrified. I was absolutely terrified of what would happen, what it would look like to other people on the outside. If I did anything like I might go to hell immediately. I mean, the level of fear that I felt about if I did anything else was so high that I just packed it all into porn and, and, masturba and masturbation as much as I possibly could. Um, and then that also was difficult because when I finally got into SA, <laughs> when I finally got into SA, I remember a therapist, he, he, I was talking to him and he looked at me and he's like, yeah, you, you have a, a serious addiction. And I remember looking at him like, serious addiction? How can I have a serious addiction? I haven't done anything. And, it, and he just stared at me like, are you, are you speaking English? Like, I mean, right over my head. I, no, no idea. The part of the, the line in the white book where it says denial is woven into the fabric of our being is, yeah, when I read that the first time, I like kind of tried to go a little faster past that because that's probably true of me. Let's keep reading. I don't, let's not stop there. Um, uh, when I, so I, we've, uh, see, I got married. The, they're obviously the higher power. I got married um, and I uh, had first kid. Then I was, again, I was doing all these things in my church and I wasn't getting better. Uh, I didn't notice that I was getting worse. Um, but then, a friend of mine who knew about my problem took me to my first meeting of SA. And I was just, and I didn't know it was SA. He was just like, oh, this, these guys talk about this stuff. So I showed up 
Cause like, sure, I'll go. I mean, you know, the deal. Great. Let's go. So I showed up and, um, I just remember being in that meeting, everyone talking and sharing their story. And I felt like I was pretty good at talking about all my problems because I've been to so many therapists and so many times and like accountability groups and whatever, but I had like my tongue, it didn't work. I couldn't say anything. And I, at the end of the meeting, I went uh, into my, I just went outside, got in my car and just cried like a baby because I knew, I knew that I knew that I knew that I either have to go back to these meetings and I might maybe get well or don't go again and you will never get well. Like you're never going to get well, Scott, and you know it. So the amount of willingness that I had in the beginning was one meeting a week and buy all the books. Don't read any of them. Ask, ask someone to sponsor me. Don't call them. If he talks to me, don't do anything he told me to do. Uh, and so I never got anywhere. Shocker. Uh, <laughs> that's not what the book says, but that's what I did. That, that was all that I was going to do. And in, retro in retrospect and reflection, you know, I wasn't in enough pain. It didn't hurt bad enough. It hurt bad, but it didn't hurt bad enough. Um, and then I got uh, into, when, once we had our, uh, my wife and I had our second kid, uh, it, it got bad. And then I got into suicidal ideation, um, which I didn't even know was a thing. Again, this delusion. And I didn't even know, you know, if I wonder what it would feel like if I took a, if I hung a left into oncoming traffic, like that's relatively normal thought, right? No, that's not, that's not a normal thought. And if, by the way, seriously, if you have those thoughts, talk to someone, because that's not a normal thought. But I thought that, that was relatively normal thinking because of my sexualism and because that that's the way I thought that it was normal. So eventually I told my wife this and I ended up in uh, rehab uh, inpatient there, uh, in, inpatient treatment for 45 days. And that saved my life. No question. Saved my life. Um, but I didn't get sober. I was sober for those 45 days. Nine days after I got out, I acted out. And then it was just back to acting out again. And what I didn't say in the beginning is uh, in almost every meeting I came to for the first four or five years of the, of the program, I introduced myself as Scott Sexolic, sober two days. Scott Sexolic, sober two days. That, that's, that's all I could get. That's all I was. It was the delusion, the insanity, the addiction. Um, it was strong and I didn't want to do anything about it. Also, I couldn't tell that, you know, when I had six days and then I had four days and then I had two days and then I had one day, I couldn't tell that it was actually getting worse. Like my addiction is getting worse, but I can't tell. I couldn't tell. It wasn't until, uh, I, after I got back from rehab, my wife, I, I got interested in actually working the steps. I worked, I worked the, the first step. I, I, I had my first draft of my first step written. My wife read it inadvertently, but she read it. Then I got the call that you should sleep somewhere else tonight, Scott. And I'm out of that. I was out of the bedroom for a while. I was out of the house. We got separated. We were separated for 10 months. It increased my interest in working the program a little bit. I tried, but I was doing half measures. 
you know, somewhere between 25 and 75%, which gets you nowhere, but that's what I was trying. And then about what, in December of 2019, I did a disclosure with my wife, a therapeutic disclosure with my wife. And that's a separate conversation. But the reason why I bring it up is that I connected with her in a way that I had never connected before because of the process that we went through. And the opposite of addiction is connection. And when I connected to another person without sex, which was like, I don't even know what this is, but it seemed, this is amazing. I, I, it blew my mind how I could be connected to another person without sex in that closely. And then like the next day or two days later, whatever it was, my sexualism took over like it always did. And I was mean, inconsiderate, rude, whatever I said. And I got so mad because I was so close to something that I wanted. And then I blew it all up by the way that I acted. And uh, I'm actually sitting in my office here, which is 20 steps out, out behind my house. So I was in my house and I stormed out of my house. Uh, I'm pretty sure I slammed the door pretty hard on the way out and sat down in my office. I remember sitting on the steps and I felt like my, my body was on fire and it was just, I couldn't, I couldn't imagine doing anything else. It just, my life right at that exact moment was the worst I've ever felt ever. And I never wanted to be in that spot again, ever, ever. And I remember that we had done the 12 steps in four hours uh, and they had shown me how to work the steps. And I was sitting on my, my, the sitting in my office. And I remember basically just yelling at God. All right, you mother effing blah, 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 blah. You tell me that this is, this is going to work. You think this is going to work. Like I can't get sober, but you're telling me this is going to work. Fine. I'll freaking do it. I was so mad. And I was so intense that it's like, I, fine, screw, screw it. I'm going to do it. What does this tell me to do? So I wrote out the four step, or excuse me, I didn't, I, I did the four step. And then I figured out what my character defect was. Obviously, eight was my wife. Nine was the amends. And I was so pissed that I had to do amends to my wife. But I was even more pissed that I was so on fire. Like my body just felt on fire. I can't explain it. It sounds ridiculous and weird, but like the extremities of my, of my nerves hurt. So I stormed back into my house, slowed down right before I got in, but you know, I got back into my house and made the amends to my wife. And then the same thing happened the next day or whatever it was. And literally in those moments, something shifted in the reality of how I live. And like it says in the white book, the, uh, we can look forward to the day when the obsession, though not the temptation, has left us. And that's, exact, and that's exactly what happened. So from the end of December 2019, the automatic internal countdown timer that was always counting down to zero, and when it hit zero, I have to act out, have to act out. It turned off. It had been on for almost, what, 30 years? And it just turned off. Getting sober was and is the hardest thing I had ever done in my life. Not only that, but if you add all the other th hard things I've done in my life together, 
it still doesn't, you know, supersede how difficult it was to get sober. And then I didn't actually get sober. God got me sober, which is the craziest thing of, of all. It, the part in the white book when it talks about uh, how I overcame lust, I didn't, God did. Oh, I thought that line was so stupid. What do you mean? God did. I mean, you're telling me to do all these things and then God's going to get me sober. And then, of course, it happened to me. Uh, so it's my pride. That's the problem. So, but that, having that happen was unbelievable. And I, I couldn't imagine that that would actually be for me. I mean, in my first meeting, when I walked in and someone said uh, they were sober since April 4 of 87, I was like, April 4 of 87? That, that's a year? I mean, when? I don't even remember when that was. I mean, I was eight. I, what do you mean? That's it just blew my mind. Um, so since, uh, since what, December 19 or 20, there's a couple uh, slips because, again, the obsession might be gone, but the temptation's not. So I still have to work the program in such a way that will allow God to enter to continue to expel what's, what's going on inside of me. Um, working the steps quickly in four hours with my sponsor was uh, revolutionizing to my program to understand that the steps are the solution to all my problems. Um, I love when I was in that workshop and, and my what is it? Grand grand sponsor said, yeah, the steps are the 15 to 20 minute solution to all your problems. <laughs> I was like, all my problems. That's what I need. I need a solution to every problem because I got a lot. Um, but it, it, it is proved true. I mean, when I work the steps, I can work the steps on any problem because the problem's always me. The problem is always me. And it's always some character defect that is busting through that is causing me and when I say causing me, what I really mean is me doing something and creating a, a, a problem in, in my life and someone else's life. And I got to reverse that. Um, and the steps help me see where that is. Give it to God. And then as my sponsor always says, uh, then go help somebody. Uh, working the steps quickly was, has been amazing. Working the steps slowly has been amazing. Um, I'm, incredibly grateful for both. Uh, now my life is so different and I've told this to others, but I, 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 I'll see a picture of myself I don't know, X, X number of years ago. And I, I was like, I don't know who that guy is. He looks like me. His name is Scott, but I don't, I don't, I don't know that. I mean, I don't know that guy. That guy is so different. He, he's not the same guy. Um, and I was even sharing on a meeting last night. I was putting my kids to bed last night. And after I got them to sleep and I was watching them sleep, I realized I really enjoyed putting them to sleep. This, this, was, this was a beautiful opportunity that, A, my wife trusted me with because she was out of town. B, that I wanted to do and found enjoyment in. But a year and a half ago, two years ago, 
I just would have been pissed because those idiots, i.e. three and six-year-old, weren't asleep yet so that I could go find my computer, look at porn and masturbate. That, like, that's even hard. That's hard to say. Like, that was me. That's, that was more important than a real person because reality, that was so scary. I'd never wanted to be in reality. That sounded terrible. Now being in reality, it's a whole, reality is scary. It's still scary all the time, but it's like, I have steps now so I can work the steps. I can call people and suddenly something different happens. Um, also, a couple of things which I wanted to, to touch on that happened to me in recovery that I didn't expect were some of my amends um, when I actually made them. Uh, I was so afraid to make my amends that I sat on them. The last one I sat on for like six to eight months till I finally made amends to my wife. So I'm, I just, it's like I tried to, I tried to like think that it wasn't there. But every time I would talk to someone or especially my sponsor, it was still there. Ah, okay, I haven't done that one yet. Uh, but when I finally made my amends to my wife, she said, oh, there's more? Like, as I started to talk, she's like, oh, there's more? You, I'd already made amends to her. And I, and I did, hadn't known it in the way that I was living and in the things that I had done already. So when she said, you know, when I asked her, is there anything else that I can do? The only thing she said was, uh, yeah, keep going to therapy. Like, keep working on on you, on us. So, it's it's pretty amazing um, to be in such a different place. I mean, I I was gonna commit suicide, and I didn't know I was gonna commit suicide. And now, my wife likes me. I like her. And we want to be around each other. That sounds normal to a normal person. But for me, the sexaholic, I mean, I thought she didn't like me. The denial, I thought she didn't like me. Like almost for the last, for the first 15 years of our marriage, minus maybe the first year, you know, year two through 15. I, I didn't really think she liked me. And increasingly, I didn't like her at all. And then I was afraid of her and all kinds of crazy stuff. But that's the delusion. That's the delusion I lived in. Now I can work the steps. I have worked the steps. I keep working the steps. I get to help others through the steps. It's it's just a whole different. It's just a whole different ballgame, man. I'm it's, I'm not I'm not in the same place. Um, working the steps and helping others through the steps is also just um is totally different because before I was trying to find, I was trying to go off of whatever I thought my higher power was telling me to do, but I didn't actually have a connection to my higher power. I needed my sponsor to tell me when we did step two together, he looked at my step two work and he said, no wonder you, you can't and won't surrender. Look at your higher power. He sucks. Nobody would surrender to this higher power. Like he's terrible. I wouldn't surrender to that higher power. And it just, I needed someone else to show me my own insanity because I was like, what are you talking about? God, he like made the universe. Of course I surrender him. No, no, that's not your real higher power. Look what you wrote. Um, so, and, and being, being able to find a real one, the one that actually works for me uh, and being open-minded enough to be able to 
allow someone else to show me that, that, that did not come easy. Um, but I'm really grateful to all my sponsors and to uh, the people that I, that have encouraged me along the way to keep working the steps. I did. I never thought the steps would work for someone like me. I mean, being a chronic slipper for what, four or five years in the program, plus all the years before that, I didn't think that was possible, but it is. And that's definitely God doing for me what I can't do for myself. Thanks for letting me share. Yeah, Scott, thank you so much uh, for your share. It was a joy to listen to and also very educational for me. Um, I am currently experiencing a lot of temptation. I liked what you said about the obsession being removed, but not the temptation. I uh, This has been happening to me, I go for months uh, without uh, any obsession or temptation, and then the temptation hits, and I find myself engaging in lustful behaviors, and I am uh, at this situation right now. I am under strong temptation, and I'm just finding myself engaging in behaviors that feed lust and uh, I am en route to, to relapsing, I know, but feeling totally powerless. Um, today, for example, I, I had a lust attack as I was uh, praying on my knees. So, uh, talk, talk about the progression of the disease, you know, uh, this had never happened before. So I'd be interested to learn um, uh, more specifically what you did um, to have your obsession removed. You know, some I know I need to place myself, uh, to put myself in a place where God's grace can expel my obsession. Uh, I would be curious to learn uh, exactly what you did and anything else that uh, comes to mind uh, in my situation. I am working a pretty strong program this week. I have been calling into three meetings a day and doing uh, nine outreach calls a day as best as I can. Um, also praying. So I'm really... Um, I'm really stunned that this is going on, that the temptation is still so strong. Uh, anyway, I would just be, be curious. Um, I, would, I would welcome any experience, strength, and hope you would have. Thank you. Thanks, Maria. Scott, if you want to respond, that's fine. Thanks, Maria, for, uh, yeah, for your share. Really appreciate that. Um, in terms of removing the obsession, uh, that... You know, being in my office and feeling like I was going crazy and just literally working the steps, right, as they are listed in the big book is exactly what I did. Um, I, I think for me, there's – it seems like the big book is all about finding a higher power and finding a connection that I didn't previously have and that this higher power is the thing that 
relieve me of my obsession. And I just have to go do all the things that it says in the book. Beyond that, I mean, I don't, it doesn't feel like I, I, there's, for me, I don't have any other answers besides that. The book says this is precisely how we have recovered. We're showing you precisely how we have recovered. So my sponsor showed me how specifically to work the steps, 12 steps in four hours, get the worksheet out, and I just write them down. And then I got to go take the action, particularly step nine, make the amends, because that brings me from in my head into reality. So now I'm actually fixing whatever broken piece that I made because of my character defects. And then I got to go help someone else because it's not about me getting better. It's about me helping someone else making myself a maximum usefulness to God and others. So I got to go help someone else. The whole program is me helping someone else. Just help someone else, help someone else, help someone else, help someone else. Um, and my, I'm really grateful for my sponsor to have smashed that home in my head so many times that be, uh, I used to call him, ask him what to do. But he kept saying to work page 84 so often that I stopped calling him and I did page 84 and then I called him. Turns out that works a lot better because that's the plan. It says exactly what to do. I ask God to remove the character defects, tell someone else about it, make amends if I harm someone, go help someone else. So... In my head, I try to make it really difficult. And there's got to be some other thing that I missed that's going to be the silver bullet. I haven't found a silver bullet. There seems to be 12. I don't know. That's what I try and do as best as possible. Hope that helps. Thank you. Very helpful. Uh, thank you, Scott, for your share. And I totally relate with... Uh, when you mention about first four years of you relapsing, I've been in SA for for almost eight months now, and I had been continuously relapsing. Uh, I do find a lot of strength from your share when you mentioned uh, you kept on trying for like four years, and I think subsequently, uh, I I have a question about like what was it that was uh, like how what was it that was like making you try continuously and like uh, uh were there moments when when you thought like this is not going to work or uh like better let me jump in the fire and and just get get burnt uh, and the other thing that you mentioned about was like yours you you mentioned an instance about you and your and, and your sponsor where your sponsor is asking you to do something and you 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 stopped calling him and then you did it and then you called him. Uh, how was the response from your sponsor? Uh, uh, like, uh, were there, uh, like how diff easy or difficult was it for you to reach out to your sponsor again after abruptly cutting him off? Thanks. Thanks to me for your 
for your share for your uh questions um yeah i can uh yeah that i can relate to all that um uh the reason why i kept coming back i did take a seven months off when uh, somewhere after year one or two or somewhere um i don't even remember why i did that but i'm sure i did it because i was like i don't feel like going um but the we're on page 78 where it says uh we found the once on the road something deep within us told it was the told us it was the right path for us we simply knew it that's all i can say i like i said like the first meeting i came to first essay meeting i came to it was just so clear like that gut punch feeling of your life will be a continual chaotic mess of acting out or maybe and i thought extremely low probability but there was maybe i might get better if i keep going to these meetings that's 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 the reason why i came back um and uh it turns out i'm stubborn shocker i'm sexaholic um but that also kept me in the meetings <laughs> uh because yeah it's like i don't know i get i get on something and then i just keep doing it it's like i'm obsessive about whatever i'm obsessive about so turns out i'm obsessive about going to meetings even though it's only once a week it, it it increased but there was one time and i'll just add this there was one time when i i i there was a a, a woman jogging and i i knew i was about to lust and that whole deal was going to start and i was going to act out that day or whenever and i this is a, a little bit into, into meet, maybe meetings I've come to like maybe a, what, a couple of years into the meetings. And it's like, I took a deep breath and I, and I asked God to take it away, take this, take the lust away. And it worked. It actually worked. I was like, seriously, this works. Like if I simply at, ex accept that I'm powerless, I have no power here. I asked God to take this away. Like, and I, another Essay guy explains it really well. He just goes, <gasps> and then that exhale is the, I am totally powerless, and I let, and I'm asking you to take it away. I got, I got absolutely zero here, no chance that I'm fixing this. And that was the first time it worked. That was the first time it worked. Of course, then I didn't do it again for for a while because I'm sexaholic and you know the worst. I'm not going to do it. But eventually, it came back and it started working. And then I really started doing it, and it started working. And it's amazing. I mean, it works. That that actually works. Um, hope that answers some of your questions. Uh, yeah, I, I, first of all, I, I want to say I relate completely to what you're saying with the whole like I've only watched porn. I'm not a you know I'm not an addict. I just you know that's all I've done. That's that's me. Um, but, um, <clears throat> and also about being scared, but my question is the following. So you mentioned that like your sponsor told you like, Hey, like no wonder you can't, you know, surrender to this higher power. It sucks. What did he tell you? Like, what was, you know, did he tell you like, Hey, like, this is my higher power. This is the one that I, that I could surrender to. Was there something like that? Or, or how was the feedback that was given to you at that point? Thanks, Felipe, uh, for your question. Really appreciate it. Uh, in step two on the step into action, um, there's a uh, inventory with columns, and uh, so we did the columns, and actually he changed them 
So it was powerful people, what happened, um, what that taught me about a higher power, what, what, and then he said, what do you wish would have happened instead of what actually happened? What do you wish would have happened? What would that have taught you about a higher power and then characteristics of a higher power? So every time I wrote down powerful people, whether it was, uh, my, my parents, uh, you know, the contractor working on my house, uh, my wife, ex-girlfriend, whatever, all these people, my friends, anyone I gave power to, uh, what happened was they made me feel some sort of, you know, bad about myself slash they didn't look out for me slash uh, I felt hurt, da, 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 whatever. So every time when I write, wrote down what that taught me about a higher power, it was some version of uh, your higher power won't look out for you. He, he's actively trying to screw you over um he's out for only himself uh there's no help for you here and you know good luck with your life kind of kind of thinking so he so all he did was he read me back what i wrote you know and he just said that okay so that's your higher power no wonder i mean that's why we kept writing because then when i got to what i wish would have happened and I really appreciate when he said what I wished would have happened, because then I could think of something that happened with like my parents or with uh, uh, any like my bo- an old boss or with my wife. What I wish would have happened and wish for like the best thing possible, absolutely best possible thing that could have happened. Then when I wrote that down and then what that taught me about a higher power. Oh, my gosh, that higher power. He thinks I am the greatest. He loves me so much. He is actively trying to help help me. And one of them was my favorite was is he's likable. My previous higher power, I didn't like him. I just was supposed to obey him. But this new higher power is like, oh, he, he's likable. Was, that blew me away. He's likable. That's weird to me. Still kind of weird. But so I wrote that down. And now when I'm now when I'm surrendering, I'm surrendering to someone that likes me. That's way different. Way different. So yeah, the answer is. He went through this and, and, and he just read to me what I wrote, which, which I couldn't see. I couldn't see at all. I couldn't see at all. That's why I needed the help. Thanks. Okay. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Scott, for your share. I really appreciate that. And uh, praise being here. Here is a question about, like, my question or my surrender as well. Like, when I was walking the street and some fantasy came, looking at women in the street, um, Seeing them as like triggering, even if they're not like the fantasy come in, uh, I start like forming a a porn thought or lustful thoughts about them. But, like, how do you deal with the difficult moment in your recovery? Uh, what's the practical practical tool that you have experienced? Thank you. Thanks, Mohammed. Thanks, Mohammed. Thanks, Mama. Uh, you're a little broken up, but I heard you say that if you see uh, the tractor woman and the uh, porn starts in my head, what do I do? Uh, yeah, exactly. uh, yeah. It, the, the the first thing I the first thing I do is admit that I'm powerless. I used to I used to like try and surrender it, but that I heard someone say, if you just surrender it, who are you surrendering it to? Not someone powerful enough. Uh, and so sometimes I just start with I'm powerless, and I just. I, I close my eye. I mean, if, it, if I'm like really under attack and it's just like, good Lord, I'm about to go crazy here. I just, I, it's someone else said it better than me. You just practice looking at cement. You just close, I close my eyes, like stop looking, like close my eyes. And I just admit that I'm powerless. I'm talking to my higher power. I'm talking to God. I'm powerless. I'm powerless. I'm powerless. I'm powerless. Just, 
I'm a hundred million times, like I'm powerless. And then I surrender to him. And I just say the words. I don't know how else to do it. I just say the words. That's all I got. I got words. That's it. So I say them. Um, and if it doesn't feel like it leaves, then that's what I call someone. And I say the whole thing again. You know, it's like, I got to surrender. What does it say in the white book? Uh, in the pit of our hell at the very, you know, the, as close to the heat of the action as possible is where it actually works. Definitely true. So, yeah, that's what I got. Thanks. Thank you. I would like to thank you for listening to this episode of The Daily Reprieve, the best source for experience, strength, and hope for SA members. Please subscribe to this podcast to be alerted of new episodes. Please show your support by donating to The Daily Reprieve by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and choosing either monthly donations or a one-time donation by clicking Donate Now. Thank you for listening and stay tuned for the next episode of The Daily Reprieve. Thank you.